0: Didn't that really clear some things up? Wasn't that a great little video? The only reason why there is a difference between heaven and earth today is because we blew it. We messed up. We screwed up. We sinned. And because of that sin, there was this separation between heaven and earth that we experience today. We pushed heaven out of earth and we chose hell on earth instead. But throughout human history, God has been carrying out his master plan to bring heaven and earth back together again. And at the center of God's master plan is Jesus Christ. Jesus came onto the scene and he called people to repent. In other words, Jesus called people to turn away from hell and turn toward heaven instead. That's repentance in a nutshell. Turn away from the things of hell and embrace and live out the things of heaven. And when he proclaimed that the kingdom of heaven is near, Jesus was proclaiming that the heavenly invasion had begun. Amen? Heaven was invading earth. And when he proclaimed this message, it wasn't something that the disciples grasped initially. It's not something that most of us have really ever truly grasped. But as time goes by, hopefully we grasp this reality more and more and more. As Jesus lived and died on the cross for our sins, he began creating pockets of heaven here on earth. And when Jesus ascended to the Father's right side, he told his followers, the church, to continue his work. So, if you are a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, who has repented of your sin and accepted Jesus as King of Heaven and King of your life, you should be taking Heaven wherever you go. You should. Taking heaven wherever you go. In your home, your family members should get a taste of heaven because you were there. In your workplace or at school, uh, your fellow students, your classmates, your co-workers, your boss, your employees should get a taste of heaven because you were there. Even at Walmart, as you're standing in one of those horrible lines to check out and just buy the stuff that's in your cart... Even those in Walmart should get a taste of heaven because you are there. We're to take heaven with us wherever we go. There's so many things that we look forward to in that future kingdom of heaven. We look forward to that place where people around us are humble instead of being arrogant. But Jesus says, I want you to take humbleness into your little corner of the world. And Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. We look forward to that place where people will take personal responsibility for their mistakes and their sins. and, And people will not be pointing fingers and blaming everyone else around them. And Jesus says, ah, I want you to bring personal responsibility and repentance into your little corner of the world. Blessed are those who mourn. Over their own sins. We look forward to that place where people will be gentle and self-controlled and kind-hearted and instead of being mean and nasty. And Jesus says, oh, well, I want you to take that gentleness and that kindness and that self-control into your corner of the world. Blessed are those who are meek. We look forward to that place where people will be hungry for God like we are hungry for God. And they'll burn not burn bridges in other relationships that they're in, but to build bridges to others. And Jesus says, okay, I want you to take your right relationships into your corner of the world. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You see, Jesus Christ didn't put you on this earth to twiddle your thumbs until you die. Jesus put you on this earth and He saved you so that you could bring heaven into your little corner of the world, right here, right now, on planet earth. Jesus Christ has called you to continue his mission to let heaven invade earth. And the Beatitudes show us how to do that. Today's message is, Blessed are the Merciful. Blessed are the merciful. We're in Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 7. I encourage you to be there in your Bible so you can see it for yourself. Matthew 5, verse 7. This is the fifth of the eighth Beatitudes. The fifth Beatitude, right there in verse 7, says this, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Merciful is a translation of the Greek word elemones which can also be translated as full of pity or compassionate or kind. Normally, when we think of mercy, we think of withholding someone's just punishment. Uh, Our five-year-old acts like a little hellion and deserves five swats, but in mercy, we only give him two. We blow through a stop sign in town because we're in a hurry, and we see those flashing lights behind us, and the cop pulls us over. Because he saw us blow through that stop sign. But in mercy, instead of giving us a ticket, he lets us go with a warning. Well, we think of a convicted felon that commits another crime. And uh, it's just for that judge to give him five to ten years in the penitentiary. But in mercy, that judge gives him probation instead. Most of the time when we think of mercy, we think of withholding a just punishment from someone that deserves to be fully punished. But that's not exactly what Jesus has in mind here in the Beatitudes. At least it's not his main focus. Jesus' main focus here in Matthew 5-7, here in this fifth Beatitude, is active kindness and compassion shown to the poor and the hurting. So not so much withholding just punishment, but giving maybe an undeserved act of mercy and kindness and compassion. To someone who is poor or needy or hurting. A few examples in Matthew 9 verse 27. Two blind men called out to Jesus. And they said, son of David, have mercy on us. These blind men they wanted to see. They desperately needed a healing. So they cried out for mercy. And guess what Jesus gave them? He gave them mercy. And those two men went home that day with 20-20 visions. In Matthew 15:22, a woman whose son was demon-possessed cried out to Jesus, "Lord, Son of David, have mercy on me." And of course, Jesus did. On that very day he had mercy on her son, and those demons were cast out of him. In Matthew 17, verse 15, a father whose son suffered greatly from seizures, he knelt at Jesus' feet and he said, "Lord, have mercy on my son!" And once again, Jesus had mercy. That son was healed of those seizures that very day. Time and time again, Jesus showed compassion and kindness and mercy to those who were poor and hurting. And he did this because mercy is one of God's greatest character traits. It really is. One of the things that defines God is his great unending mercy. In Psalm 103 verse 8, it says, The Lord is compassionate. And gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. We read in Psalm one forty five, verse nine, The Lord is good to all, He has compassion on all He has made. And Lamentations three twenty three, even though that's one of the most depressing books in the entire Bible. Lamentations three twenty three says, God's mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So mercy. It's one of God's greatest character traits. Therefore, heaven, don't miss this, heaven is full of mercy. Heaven is full of mercy. So as you and I are called to bring heaven to earth, guess what? Guess what one of the most important things is that God wants you and me to bring to our little corner of the world? You guessed it. He wants us to bring our little corner of the world a whole lot of heavenly mercy. I love the powerful words of Albert Barnes, who was a theologian in the 19th century. He writes, Nowhere do we imitate God more than in showing mercy. In nothing does God delight more than in the exercise of mercy to us guilty sinners. He has shown his mercy. Each day of our life, each hour and each moment, we partake of his undeserved mercy. All the blessings we enjoy are proofs of his mercy. Our world is full of guilt and woe, which we may help to relieve. And every day of our lives, we have opportunity by helping the poor and wretched and by forgiving those who injure us to show that we are like God. Oh, one of the greatest ways that you and I can demonstrate that we are followers of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords is to extend undeserved mercy to those around us. Notice I use the word undeserved and that's to reinforce the fact that mercy by definition is always undeserved. Pastor John Piper says it well. He writes, Mercy comes from mercy. Catch that? Mercy comes from mercy. Our mercy to each other comes from God's mercy to us. The key to becoming a merciful person is to become a broken person. Notice how he refers back to that very first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Remember, that means blessed are those who are humble and broken before God, ready to be filled up by him. And so he says, the key to becoming a merciful person is to become a broken person. You get the power to show mercy from the real feeling in your heart that you owe everything you are and have to sheer divine mercy. Therefore, if we want to become merciful people, it is imperative that we cultivate a view of God and ourselves that helps us to say with all of our heart that every joy and every virtue of our lives is owing to the free and undeserved mercy of God. Do you believe those words? Every joy, every blessing that you enjoy is due to the undeserved mercy of God. I want you to let these powerful truths sink deeply into your mind and heart. How on earth can you spare the time and energy to show compassion and mercy to the broken people around you? You can do it because Jesus spared the time and energy to show compassion to you when you were broken. How can you possibly Give a second chance to those around you who don't deserve a second chance. You can do it because Jesus, when you didn't deserve a second chance, gave you a second chance anyway because of his great mercy. How can you possibly muster the motivation to help a homeless man who smells like urine? How can you possibly muster the motivation to help a family member who does nothing but grumble and complain? Or minister to a friend in compassion and mercy who does nothing but freeload off of you and never even says thank you. How can you do that? You can do it because you know that Jesus showed you an unearthly amount of kindness and mercy when you smelled bad. And when you grumbled and complained. And when you you never even told him thank you. Because Jesus Christ has shown you mercy. Mercy. Jesus says, you must in turn show others around you mercy. And remember, if it's mercy, it's undeserved. If you're waiting for that person around you to deserve it, you will never carry out this beatitude. You'll never be a man or woman of mercy. You and I have both stepped underneath the storm clouds of heaven and we have been bathed In the mercy of God. And Jesus so sweetly and powerfully here. In this fifth beatitude says. I want you. To give your family. And your friends. And your neighbors. And your co-workers. And your fellow students. The same opportunity. Allow them the opportunity to step out. Under the storm clouds of heaven. And experience the great. Undeserved mercy and favor and compassion and kindness of God through you. He says, allow them to experience what you have experienced because of my mercy on you. Our world needs less of our judgment and more of our mercy. God's word tells us that mercy triumphs over judgment. Our world needs less of us giving people what they deserve and more of giving people what they don't deserve. Kindness, forgiveness, compassion. In Christ's kingdom, poor and hurting people are a higher priority than us getting enough sleep. Poor and hurting people are a higher priority than us eating three square meals a day. Poor and hurting people are a higher priority than our precious schedules. Allow the Holy Spirit to mess up your schedule if the Holy Spirit is leading you to help someone who is poor and needy and in need of mercy. Showing Christ's mercy to poor and hurting people will cost you. And there's a very good chance it'll cost you a lot. But show mercy anyway. Especially your own family. Some of you might have been hoping I wouldn't go there, but I'm going there especially your own family. You see, the truth is, and we're speaking truth here, we're being real with you today. The truth is, some of us show more mercy to perfect strangers than we show to those in our own family, to those who are under the same roof as us. When your husband or wife or your kids or your brother or your sisters screw up, you know what we do so often We let them have it. We lay into them. And we make them feel this big. Well, congratulations. You've just brought more of hell into your home. I've got a much better idea. An idea that Jesus gives us right here in the Beatitudes. Instead of bringing more hell into your home, why don't you try bringing a little bit more heaven into your home? And when your family members do something that's wrong... They screw up, they mess up, they fail. Oh, you can point that out to them. But speak the truth in love. And why not show them a little bit of mercy? To get them a taste of the mercy that God has had on you when you screwed up. Oh, we need more mercy in our families. We need more mercy in our homes. And guess what? What goes around comes around. As we forgive others... God, Jesus says, will forgive us. As we show mercy to others, it says right here in this beatitude, Jesus Christ will show mercy to us. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Let's look at this sixth beatitude. It's in verse 8. Matthew 5, verse 8. Jesus says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. Pure is a translation of the Greek word katharos, which means clean, blameless, having integrity and being unstained. Interestingly, this word can refer to something that has been purified either by fire or by pruning. Does that sound just a little bit familiar? Remember John the Baptist, before Jesus came onto the scene, John the Baptist was saying, hey, I baptize you with water, but one is coming after me. And this one who's coming after me, of course, referring to Jesus, will not baptize with water, but with fire and the Holy Spirit. And so he was making it clear, he was prophesying that Jesus would baptize with fire. You go over to John chapter 15 and Jesus makes it clear in that chapter that he is the vine and we are the branches. And when we fail to bear fruit, he prunes us so that we can produce fruit. So right here in the Gospels, Jesus is lifted up as the one who refines us by fire and prunes us so that we can be fully productive for God. Jesus is the great purifier. He purifies his followers so that we can become clean and blameless and unstained and have integrity on the inside and on the outside. Now, here in this sixth beatitude, Jesus makes it clear that his followers need to be pure in heart. We need to be pure in heart. Now, what does that mean? Well, the Bible uses the term heart in reference to our spiritual center, the place where our thoughts and our desires and our motives and character originate. So to be pure in heart means to be pure in the very center of our being. It means to be blameless in who we actually are. A a pure heart has no hypocrisy. It has no hidden motives. A pure heart is transparent and it is sincere. It has a sincere desire to please God. Someone with a pure heart is not faking it. Someone with a pure heart is not just going through the motions. Their faith is real. What they say on the outside is what they truly believe on the inside. In 1 Samuel 16.7, God taught something very important to the prophet Samuel. Remember, Samuel went to anoint the next king of Israel. He went to Jesse and his sons. And one by one, the sons stood before Samuel. And he thought for sure that king uh, who was going to be the next king of Israel would just look like a king. He'd be tall, dark, and handsome. And God said, oh no, don't look at the outward appearance, Samuel. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. The sixth beatitude highlights the fact that following Jesus is never just about cleaning up our act on the outside. Jesus came to earth first and foremost to clean up our act on the inside. On more than one occasion, Jesus scolded the Jewish religious leaders for being consumed with how religious they looked on the outside instead of humbly addressing the corruption they had on the inside. On one occasion, Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. In other words, He says, you guys look so great on the outside. Man, your garments are all clean and ironed. And man, you're looking the part. You're, you're like a brand spanking new house on the outside. But on the inside, Jesus says, you're full of dead men's bones. Oh, Jesus hated to see someone that looked the part on the outside, but was rotten to the core on the inside. Jesus did not deal very well with hypocrisy. So the heart is where Jesus places his greatest focus. He knows that if a person has any hope of being pure, then his or her heart is going to have to be pure. Uh, Jesus teaches us in Matthew 15, verses 18 and 19, that all sin begins in the heart. Evil thoughts and murder and adultery and premarital sex and theft and lying and slander, they all originate in the heart. So Jesus spends the greatest amount of His time working on our hearts. He knows that if one of His followers is going to truly bring heaven down to earth, he's going to need to have a clean heart in order to do it. We need clean hearts. I love how King David uh, writes in Psalm 24, uh, verses 3 and 3 through 5 a few of my favorite verses in the Psalms he writes who may ascend the hill of the Lord who may stand in his holy place he who has clean hands and a pure heart oh if he does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God as Savior so what is God looking for in you and me what is God looking for what is Christ looking for Clean hands and a pure heart. And with those clean hands and a pure heart, we can truly live out these beatitudes in a way that is honest and sincere and full of integrity. Do you remember in Revelation 3 when Jesus writes a letter to the church at Laodicea? Do you remember he lays into those Christians at that church in Laodicea? Do you remember what he really got upset with them about? How did, what did he really rebuke them over? You may remember this. He rebukes them for being lukewarm. He says, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Jesus says, I would rather you be cold than be lukewarm. Well, what exactly does that mean? Well, in part it means that their hearts were divided. Part of their hearts were gung-ho for God, but other parts of their hearts were chasing after the things of the world. Their hearts were divided and Jesus says, I do not want my followers to ever have divided hearts. We can't have our hearts chase after God part of the week and chase after the world the other part of the week. Jesus says that he is not going to put up with that kind of followership. So make no mistake about it, Jesus is not interested in half hearted Christians. He has no interest in us carving out part of our hearts to live for him. He wants our whole hearts He wants them to be pure and that means our thoughts are to be in line with his thoughts and our motives are to be in line with his motives and our priorities are to be in line with his priorities. That's what it means to be pure in heart. And if we are pure in heart, Jesus says we will be blessed in an amazing way. He says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. What a glorious blessing. So church, Christians, we've got our work cut out for us. We really do. Jesus Christ is calling you and me to take heaven to our little corner of the world by taking his mercy and his compassion and his kindness to our little corner of the world. And he is calling us to do it. From a pure, undivided heart. No more going through the motions. No more faking it on the outside. No more hypocrisy. That won't work at all. Instead, we allow Christ to change our hearts so that our compassion and our mercy and our kindness are real. They come from a humble and broken heart that says, I give mercy Only because mercy has been given to me. I have learned mercy from the greatest mercy giver of all time. God himself. Everything that's good in my life is but by the grace and mercy of God. Oh, and God forbid that I ever fail to pass on that same kind of mercy to those around me. Everything I have in my life that is good is undeserved. And let me just shoot straight with you, church. I would say that for myself. I do not deserve the house that I live in. I don't deserve to have a wife that is stuck by my side for 22 years when at times I've been a pain in the neck. I don't deserve to be your pastor. If you only knew knew the things that God had to forgive me of, anything that's good in my life, I do not deserve. But God has been so merciful to me. How can I help? but extend that mercy to those around me deserving or not. Doesn't matter. Mercy is mercy because it's undeserved. Oh, God has called us as his followers to get to it. Let those around you experience heaven on earth as you extend the mercy and compassion and kindness of heaven right there, In your corner of the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're just in awe of you. We're amazed by you. We're blown away by you. So often, Lord, we have to go back to that very first beatitude. We realize that we're not broken, we don't realize the severity of our own sin. We forget how good you've been to us and how undeserving your goodness has been. But Lord, we want to together right now in this moment, as we're in this service together, we want to say thank you. Thank you for your undeserved mercy. And we want to ask that you would forgive us for being so stingy in giving that same kind of mercy to those around us. Simply because we don't think they're deserving of it. Maybe because we've given them mercy in the past and we think they've reached their limit and so there's no more for them. Forgive us, Lord, for being stingy with your mercy. You gave it to us liberally. Help us to give your mercy to those around us liberally. Help us to give them compassion. Those in our household, those in our family, those in our neighborhood, those in Walmart, help us to give mercy abundantly. And help us, Lord, every day to take heaven to our little corner of this world and show them what Jesus Christ is like. Lord, there's been enough hell on earth recently. It's time to invade earth with heaven. Help us to do so, especially in this area of extending mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, I love our Lord. He has been so good to me and he has been so good to you. You just bathe yourself in the mercy of God. Realize how good he has been to you. And you extend that compassion and mercy and forgiveness to those around you. Some of you today need to reach out to some family members that you've cut off. You've shown them a whole lot of justice, but very little mercy. Let's make this Lord's Day a day where we extend mercy to those who need it from us. And let's make it a day, wherever we go, whatever we do, that those around us can experience a taste of the mercy of God. If you're here with us and you've never accepted Christ as Savior, I want to encourage you to accept Him right now. There's no better way to live than following Jesus Christ. And it's not complicated to begin following Him. We'd like to share the ABCs. A Admit that you are a sinner and that you desperately need a Savior. You've got to humble yourself before God. B, you have to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And C, you have to choose to follow Him from this point forward. Put Him in the driver's seat of your life. And if you've made that decision, I want you to reach out to one of our prayer counselors right now. And they'd love to pray with you and talk to you about getting baptized because that's your next step. You've got to get baptized making it clear to the world, I'm serious, I'm following Jesus from now on. He's in the driver's seat of my life. And for those of you who have already made that decision, your believers and followers of Christ, I encourage you to take out the bread and the juice as we take communion together. Communion is a time for us to search our own hearts and realize how we have failed our Lord and take hold of the grace and mercy that He offered us through His sacrifice on the cross. That bread reminds us of his body broken on the cross so that you and I could go to him and be forgiven any moment of any day. And that juice reminds us of his blood that was poured out for the forgiveness of our sins. Search your heart. Ask him to have mercy on you. Don't take in an unworthy manner. Make sure you recognize that the body and the blood of Christ are precious. Let's take of the bread, remembering Jesus' body broken. Let's take of the juice, remembering his blood poured out. Lord Jesus, forgive me. Have mercy on me, a sinner, in need of your forgiveness. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive us, Lord. Wash us clean and help us to follow you better than ever. Help us to invade our corner of the world with the grace and mercy of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's lift up one final song in our service together. God bless you. As you make sure that you're an instrument of heaven, an instrument of God's mercy and compassion and kindness in your corner of the world. God bless you.